0: Two Saturdays ago, on October 7th, um, Hamas uh, killed some 1,500 Israelis and took upwards of 200 other individuals as hostages. Since that time, thousands of people have been killed. And in the middle of a a very pronounced political war, there are all kinds of clips like the one that we're going to show you. That, that conjures something up inside the human soul that we're going to address this morning, and and I'll I'll promise you this will be probably one of the more uncomfortable mornings for us all, because it's a theme that we're going to address that we don't really talk about often. But where the text takes takes us this morning, we go. So watch this clip. I'm always sick. I'm always I don't know. I can't do anything. You see, all of this. What what do you expect me to do? Fix it? I'm only 10. I can't even do anything in this war. I just wanna be a doctor or anything to help my people, but I can't. I'm just a kid. I don't even know what to do. I get scared, but not really that much. I I do anything for my people, but I don't know what to do. I'm just 10. I'm just ten. All of this, when I see, I literally cry every day, saying to myself, "Why do we deserve this? Why? What did we do to this?" My family said just, they they just hate us. They just don't like us because we are Muslims. Why does Muslims act for you like that? see all of the kids in Rafi? They're just kids. Why wouldn't you just send a missile to them and kill them? It's not fair. It's not fair. There are hundreds of videos just like that of Israeli and Palestinian children asking the same question. It's just not fair. What did we do to deserve this? This is just one of the literal dozens and dozens of situations around the world That if I'm honest, and I suspect if you're honest, it gets you kind of worked up on the inside because we are frustrated at situations that seem so large before us that we don't know how to speak into it. We don't know how to fight against it. We don't know how to minister in the middle of it. And most of all, it feels like sometimes people get away with things that we wish they didn't get away with. A couple weeks ago, Amy and I watched a a documentary called um, Stolen Daughters. And I was looking at the book Haram that had taken 200 girls from their schools in Nigeria and literally like stole them off into the jungles. And you watch the ones who survived and escaped. And there's a part inside of me that gets like incredibly angry. It's the Ukrainian children. It's the mothers in Russia. It's the 6.6 million Refugees who live in tent cities all over the world. It's the Nova Scotians who saw loved ones murdered back in April of 2020. It's our own country where First Nations children and families are denied clean and safe drinking water. And we we let that sink in. This is not in some distant land that's not developed. This is right here at home, families denied um, clean drinking water based on where they live. Every single one of these situations brings about these same kinds of questions that this little girl was asking, what can I do? What did we do to deserve this? These are but a few of the situations that all speak to the themes of injustice or justice that Solomon speaks to throughout the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you were to break down all of the different themes that are woven into the book of Ecclesiastes, this one is the largest one. There are more passages, more words, directed around this theme than any other theme in this whole book. And if you break it all down, there's a very specific question is, where is the justice in this stuff? Before we move into this dialogue this morning, I just want to give you a quick recap of where we have been thus far. So if you're new this morning and you're wondering what on earth we're working through, we're working through a book called Ecclesiastes. It's right in the middle of the Old Testament. It's one of four books that together comprise the wisdom literature. And inside wisdom literature is an awful lot of dialogue around the human experience and human life and where we find ourselves in the context of God's big and grand design. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there are several themes that we have already talked about. We have talked about wisdom itself and how Solomon says it's meaningless in the end. We talked about advancement, how the youth grow up and essentially push the old out of relevance and the new ones take over, and this too is meaningless. We talked about pleasure and how pleasure we can run after, pleasure we can seek, and this too, if you're reading along, is meaningless. And then last week we talked about riches and money, and you guessed it, this too is meaningless. But every time that we work through one of these themes, Solomon is acting like a signpost, pointing us out to something, to someone, actually, who, when we read it through the lens of Jesus, all of Solomon's conclusions get turned upside down. And today, that same pattern is true. Justice, Solomon would say, it's meaningless. But there's a signpost that we will highlight that points us out to say, but that gets turned upside down. It gets kind of reframed through the person of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you some of the passages that are in Ecclesiastes and speak to them while we go. There's a few of them, so bear with me. I normally don't read this much scripture in a Sunday morning service because sometimes when you read too much, we don't get all of the little nuggets that are in each and every passage. But this morning, I do want to read this because I suspect you will find your own life story, your own heart woven into the text while we work our way through. So the first one is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 1-3. through 3. Solomon says this, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living, who are still alive, but better than both is the one who has never been born, who has yet to see the evil that is done under the sun. Imagine this, Solomon is basically saying, everywhere you look, there are oppressors and there are the oppressed. It's better for you not to have been even born to experience the evil that exists under the sun. Ecclesiastes 7.15, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. To say this another way, we buried a wonderful woman of faith at 56 degrees, 56 years old last weekend, and we will probably do the same in the coming weeks with someone who's 52. People who love the Lord. People who are kind. People who live wonderful lives of faith. And it frustrates me that people who are evil can live to be 98 and enjoy life. That's a real dynamic. And and I suspect, if you're honest, that kind of bugs you a little bit, just like it bugs me, because it certainly bothered Solomon. Ecclesiastes 3, 16 and 17, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And ultimately what he's saying is, even the institutions where justice is supposed to happen, those people too were evil. Those people too were unjust. How many of us have watched a court case unfold? And you're looking to the system to provide a sense of justice. But based on some weird legal technicality, you feel in the heart that that person got away with it all based on some weird technicality that the lawyer was able to really highlight and expose and use. And the one who is the villain is free. And the one who is oppressed walks away with no justice. Solomon's saying, even when you look into the places where justice is supposed to happen, it doesn't happen, and it's deeply frustrating. He goes on to say, I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Ecclesiastes 5.8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district, and the justice and rights denied, do not be surprised by such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. In other words, when you go looking for help through the power structures, You're going to be frustrated because what you want to find here, not gonna happen. Can I talk to your manager? Yeah, manager's not gonna do anything because that manager has a boss and that boss has a CEO and so on and so on. And you can look all the way through the ladder looking for justice, but you will not find it. Ecclesiastes 8.11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong although a wicked person who commits hundreds of crimes might live a long time. This is speaking to the whole like vigilante justice, how we will take justice into our own hands because you see a crime unfold and you're waiting for the trial to happen. You're waiting for justice to come. And this is like, really? The, the trial is eight years from now and you're under house arrest in a million-dollar palace? Well, I'm not going to wait for that. I'm gonna go and take justice into my own hands. This is what Solomon's getting at. Ecclesiastes 8.14, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too I say is meaningless. You watch people who are framed, you watch people who are set up to fail, and what the wicked person should get, the good person gets because of really elaborate, wise schemes to hang that person out to dry. Everywhere you look, Solomon talks about these issues and how frustrating it is for the human being to live in such a world. There are at least three or four other passages that all point out to these conversations of justice inside the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you boil it all down, There are three dominant themes that Solomon ultimately is addressing throughout this book as it relates to justice. We'll put them up on the screen. There are unjust frustrations. Simply put, sinful people live long and they get away with it and good people die young. Unjust frustrations. We see it all the time. Why did that infant die? Why does that old evil person continue to live at 90? How does this happen? Unjust frustrations. Then there's unjust people. The people who are responsible for administering justice, they are in fact evil. They are in fact broken inside, and it taints the way that they administer justice in the world. And then there's unjust endings wicked or just. We both just die. So who cares? It's all meaningless the wicked person, the just person, we all end up in the grave. Who cares? These three realities, all of them, can be traced back to the fall, the day that sin and death entered into the world when Adam and Eve opted to walk away from the living God. And God tells them up front that if you walk away from me, if you disobey this one instruction, sin and death will enter the world. And on this particular day, sin and death did enter the world, and you and I, And everyone before us and everyone after us will be living inside the context of where sin and death reign. And we will experience unjust frustrations. We will deal with unjust people. We will walk through unjust endings. Funny story about my own life, our own life in this space. Amy and I, we would like to think we're good renters. We were renting while at school. So, this is where this gets funny. I'm renting a building or a, a, an apartment while I'm studying to be a pastor. That's a big note. We leave our rental. We're sued. Why? Because we did not leave the unit the way that we found it. And I'm like, well, technically you're right. We painted the walls and the large stones that were over the front walk, we moved behind the garage, and we added some things because Amy's a pretty good decorator. They sued us for $1,700 to return the walls to their original state, to move the rocks back to where they were, and a few of the other things that we had done to improve the apartment, which to make matters worse, they gave us permission to do in the first place. During the small claims court, frustrating experience of my life, If you can't afford these things, we will supervise you doing the work and and deduct your bill. And we had to pay out, I don't know what it was, $800 for this moment. We will experience unjust frustrations. We will experience unjust people. We will walk through unjust endings. And I understood in that moment when Jesus talks about murder in the heart for another. With all of this in mind, what hope do we have? The questions of what do we do to deserve this? At times in all of our lives, it feels like there is no justice in this world. However, Solomon through his life speaks to this coming judgment that's out there. It's a signpost that comes out of the Old Testament that pushes way out into the New Testament. And if you're new this morning, or you were new last week, and you came into church like, I'm gonna give this one more try. Because the thing I hate about church is all they do is talk about money, and all they talk about is judgment. You're welcome. So last week was money, (laughs) today is judgment. But Solomon, through his life and through his words, points out to a coming day that's significant. Ecclesiastes 3.17 speaks to it. God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I love this next one. This is Ecclesiastes 11.9. You who are young, you look across this crowd, there's a lot of you, so listen closely. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart. This is the whole like, live your truth. Go after it. Follow your heart. Whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Run after it, but know this. Judgment's coming. That's awkward, right? It's like us saying to our kids, "Like, we're going away for a week. Do whatever you want. Eden, Lauren, Beck, Jack, enjoy the house, have friends over, do whatever you want but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. It's kind of that feel. It's kind of that feel. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. It's curious, when you lay the first set of passages over the second set of passages, there is this conflicting message that's woven into the text. On one hand, Solomon speaks of the lack of justice because in the end, we all die anyway and it's meaningless. And then the other set of passages that we just finished reading talks about, well, there is in fact a judgment coming. This is the conversation that we're going to have this morning because woven into the Old Testament, there is a very underdeveloped dialogue about judgment and the afterlife through the lens of Christian faith. But Solomon knows enough that there is something coming that is significant that every human being needs to be aware of. Solomon was incredibly right to say that there is judgment that's coming down the road. And when we move into the New Testament, we are given a very clear picture of what that judgment is going to look like that Solomon was scratching at throughout his words. When Jesus arrives, and this is going to be difficult for some of you because some of you have Jesus as this like, He's my buddy, and he's nice all the time, and he hands out candy. Like, we have this kind of picture of him. And then when we talk about Jesus, the just judge, you're like, well, not my Jesus. Then you don't worship the right Jesus. The one that you've concocted in your mind is going to drastically disappoint you because the real one will show up. And be like, I didn't understand this. It's because you didn't want to listen to anything that the real Jesus had to say on these particular matters. Jesus, through his life, talks about justice and judgment on an ongoing basis. And we want to pull these two terms apart, because today, next Sunday morning, this is kind of like a mini two-week series inside the series while we work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. There's two terms. The first one we'll throw up on the wall, and it's the term justice. The term justice, if you go way back to Old Testament Hebrew language, really is talking about living right. Right? learning to live right. And ultimately, the theme or the heart of living right is I as a human being, you as a human being, when you look out at another human being, you have to realize that you're looking at someone in whom God has made, in whom God loves, in whom God has died for and has created spaces for their redemption. You are looking at someone whom God values deeply. And we must live right in accordance with the fact that that human being has deep value to the living God. Therefore, it shapes my value of them. We'll get into this a lot next week. There's a reason why Jesus says pray for your enemies. Because that enemy of yours is someone that God loves and has died for and is trying to redeem That's all next week, this living right, the theme of justice. The other word that's tightly woven into this is the word judgment, which is essentially punishment for wrongdoing. I'm a pastor's kid. My Sunday mornings went like this. We got up, my brother David and I often fought because dad was away, the mice can play. Uh, We would go to church. Some of my Sunday school teachers were notoriously great at letting my parents know of my behavior in class We came home, there was no jury, it was just judge. And my father would come home, he's like, go to your room, give me 15 minutes, we need to talk. And I knew what talk meant. It meant I was gonna get spanked, and then I'm gonna spend a couple hours in my room. That was Sunday for me, like that was Sunday. Because punishment for wrongdoing is something that even now we struggle with. you're like, I'm fine. I love my father. He is a fantastic dad. I don't struggle with any of that stuff because I was a bit of a knob in Sunday school. Like, if I did things like pull chairs out from under kids when they were sitting back, I deserve to be punished, all right? You deserve this because you're not a nice kid. And when your teachers say your kids aren't good, believe your teachers because your kid has the capacity to be awful and they should be punished. That's a whole other sermon on a whole other day. But this morning, judgment... Is our theme, punishment for wrongdoing. And today we're going to talk about the latter, this judgment side, because next week is going to be the justice theme. And they are tightly woven together. When Jesus arrives, he is the one that speaks of judgment. And he talks about it clearly in Matthew chapter 25, and we'll put the, the text up on the screen and you can read this with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus speaking about himself, because he is the Son of Man, and one day he will come in his glory. And all the angels with him will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And if you've never read this before, you want to be the sheep. Sheep good, goats bad. Like That's the breakdown of this. There is no middle category. It is one or the other. It is one or the other. There's not this like, let's see how this group works out. It is this one or this one. And it's super awkward to say that, but I hide behind the great comfort that I'm not the one saying this. I'm just repeating the one who had said it. There is a day coming where the Son of Man will return and all the nations will be before Him and he will quickly act and judge the world. Sheep on one side, goats on the other. And in Matthew 25, if you want a good afternoon read, if you think Ecclesiastes is difficult, you should read this Matthew 25 and other passages around this great and wonderful day on Jesus' return. This is the day that Solomon is pointing out to that Jesus himself affirms where he will preside as the perfect and righteous judge over the world that he has made. And ironically, the judgment that he will bring is going to be deeply linked to the theme of justice that we're talking about next week. Did we feed the hungry? Did we clothe the naked? Did we give water to those who are thirsty? Did we visit and care for those who are the oppressed? Did we fight for them and advocate for the orphan and the widow? Did we see and speak into these particular spaces? In other words, the very judgment that Jesus is speaking to is going to be deeply woven and connected to our care for the marginalized, our care for the oppressed, people who are created in the very image of God. Again, this is all next week. But this morning, we do want to spend some time working through this theme of judgment. These themes that Jesus speaks to in Matthew 25, John speaks to them again in Revelation 19. And I'll read this, it's not on the screen, but I want you to just hear this spectacular vision that John is given, that he is saying the same thing, just in different language around this day of Jesus' return. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. The rider is Jesus, Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are blazing like fire, And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to judge the nations. On his robe and on his thigh, he is. Imagine the day where this white horse, the rider, faithful and true, tattoo on his leg, blood dripping off, sword in his mouth, judging the nations. For the Christ follower, we long for this day. Because it gets down into the we don't deserve this. It gets down into the earthy parts of how can evil not be punished? How can bad not be dealt with? The same theme again, Paul repeats it in Second Thessalonians 1, 6-8. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. Verse 8, He will punish those who do not know the Lord, nor do they listen or obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord. Like Solomon, we can find ourselves in a space where justice feels like it's fleeting, that the evil ones get away with things. And you're like, are people evil? Listen, yes, they are. I'm evil. I have the capacity to do awful evil things. I have the capacity to say and do and act in ways that are awful. And we live in a world where we try to downplay evil and it's all this. No, no, no. Sometimes it's just flat-out evil. There's a movie that I watched years ago, and from a pastoral theological lens, I love it. There's this dialogue between Hannibal Lecter and this psychologist who's trying to figure out what could have caused Lecter to be the evil man that he was. And he is a very smart guy. And then the dialogue with Jody Foster, he goes down, he's like, You're going to look for some kind of reason connected to the lack of love in my home. You're going to look for some kind of reason because of what happened at school. On and on and on it goes. He goes, But you refuse to acknowledge that I'm just evil. And he challenges her to say, I am this, and you don't want to believe that I'm this. We have to get to the place where evil is very real. Our kids go to school, your kids go to school. We see evil on display. We see maliciousness on display on an ongoing basis, and it's deeply frustrating that somehow, (laughs) that somehow, I've got to pay you $1,400 to move stones back that were blocking the front entrance. Pray for your enemy, because I want to hurt that person. I have the capacity to do evil. Like Solomon, we can find ourselves in a world where fleeting or justice is fleeting, and we ask very real and honest questions of why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? What did I do to deserve this? And when we find ourselves in these very real moments of life, I love the fact, and this is a deep comfort for me, I love the fact that no one gets away with anything. No one gets away with anything. So that 98-year-old evil person that you see die and justice never comes, no one gets away with anything. Now, it gets awkward because that same statement is also true for me. As a people, we love and fight for justice. We want judgment to reign until that judgment and justice then is pointed at us. I am this weird kind of back and forth person where I love the fact that there is this day coming and at the same time, it is one of the motivating factors for my love and fear of the Lord as I live my life out. If we said to our children, you have a whole week, follow your heart, do whatever you want, but Sunday's coming, I would suspect that come Saturday, the vacuum begins to emerge. (laughs) That things kind of go back where they're supposed to go. Because they're anticipating their return. That sense of fear and awe and wonder of all that is about to unfold. The difference is, we have not been given a day, we haven't been given an hour of when Christ will return. And we live our lives on an ongoing basis with this great anticipation for this great and glorious day when all things will be set right. It is one of the most heartbreaking heart cries when you watch particularly children struggle with, I didn't do anything to deserve this. This is something that my parents are, and I'm lost in the conflict. This is children growing up on our island that don't have food, and we try to come alongside them with food because parents are not responsible with the treasure that they have. There's a judgment space in all of us that we want justice to reign. And with this longing for justice to reign, two things, and we'll finish with this. One, We have to know, we have to realize, and we have to live our lives out with a deep knowledge that there is a day coming where perfect judgment will unfold. There is a day coming when the world will be fully realized in all of its fullness, where all wrongs will be set right, and all of the things wrong with the world, evil and sin and oppression and darkness, will be purged from it once and for all. It's described beautifully in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 2 or Isaiah 65 and a few other places. But it speaks of how all of the things of death and decay will fade and purity and righteousness and perfection will emerge as God's design from the very beginning. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are earnestly awaiting this day. But here is the danger Mm -hmm. for you, the Christian, and you need to hear this well. We have been led to believe that all we do as the Christian between now and then is just tell others about Jesus. That's a big part of it. Go into the world and tell others about who I am. But woven into the telling them of who he is is also a call to we are to live right on behalf of those who have no voice. We live rightly because we are fighting for, we are defending the marginalized. We are speaking into spaces where evil is present. And next Sunday morning, listen, if there is a morning where I would love for you to be here, this is the one. Over the last year and a half, I've had amazing dialogues with Christians who are trying to figure out how do we raise kids in a world that feels broken? How do we live right? How do we speak well? How do we do this well? So that what I say and how I say it and what I do doesn't look like someone who doesn't know the Lord, but actually reflects the kingdom of heaven in the way we live our life. That is next Sunday morning. And we live this way grounded in the deep truth and reality and comfort that there is a day coming where judgment will unfold and all things will be set right. One is the motivating driver for the other. I'm gonna invite Cheryl and the team back. They sang a song before I began to speak, and the lyric was beautiful, and it talks about how his mercy triumphs over judgment. Every day that I get up, I get up in a bed, in a house, with a lawn, with a wife and children. I work in a great place with great people, I have food on my table. There is so much that I am on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy every single day of my life. The fact that I can walk, the fact that I can breathe, the fact that I can be involved in so many things that I just deeply love that God has wired me for. That is all God's mercy on my life. All of it. And His mercy reigns until this day that we're talking about and judgment will unfold. And sheep and goats will unfold. And all that is wrong with the world will be set right. This ought to be a deeply motivating factor for you, the Christ follower. A sobering space for you, the Christ follower. If you hear this this morning, like, I have never heard this before in my life. I want to know more about, I, I would love to chat with you about this. This is not from me, this is from the one who lived, who was a real human being, who was crucified, who was raised from the dead. The Lord himself is the one who has said this to his world to say, I love you deeply. I long for you to experience life, life to its full, through relationship with me. And the Lord is patient, long-suffering in a hopes that all would come to know him. But there is a day coming, we have no idea when it is, where judgment will unfold. And we live in the in-between spaces for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our gracious and heavenly Father, judgment is a very real dialogue that you have with your people. And it compels us to live our lives in a way that reflects your goodness and kindness. To bring light into the dark world, to bring justice in your name to others who are lacking it that it grounds us with this great understanding that there is a day coming where all things will be made right. May your spirit move in us this morning in in a profound and powerful way. In your name we pray. Amen.